Are you guys ready to get started? I'm so excited to share. It's going to be awesome. Um, it's really, I mean, it's a fun subject. Oh, did I make my, I made Gabriel cry, sorry. Sorry. Okay, so before we get started, I do, I just want to uh, sum up what we have, where we've come from, because everything has been so good so far, and I don't want us to forget it. So all the messages we've covered so far, the first one, incredible, if God isn't your motive, then everything you do will eventually fail. Have you guys seen that in your lives? Yes, because I've seen it in mine. If you don't have the right motive, you will start to treat people like objects. Haven't we all done that? I have. Do you worship the creator or the creation? God will give you over to your desires, but Jesus is the only one worthy of that spot. So give yourself to him. The next one, in order to transition from a dead life of time to a living life of eternity, you must transition from a life of selfishness to selflessness. That one literally blew my mind. Andrew, it was so good. I had to watch it again because I, I just didn't know. Okay, and then before you know who you are, you must ask, who is he? Haven't we come on such a great journey, right? So good. So tonight, I want to talk about salvation and how it's a restored and redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God and what that means. So I'm going to say that a lot. Salvation is a restored and redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God. Okay, so my hope is through this message, I can inspire you to go a little bit deeper with the Lord, go beyond the legalistic, social, and carnal ideas of what we think relationship with the Lord is, as Ryan talked about last week and everyone's talked about. But that being said, let's take a moment to let go of anything that's standing in the way of us hearing from God. So we're just going to be a little quiet so you can bow your head and just let go of the tests the homework that you have, the bills that you have. If you're hungry, let the Lord be your food tonight. <laughs> like, let's just take a moment to like let him be first. He says, if you should seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. And David says, one thing that I've desired is to worship and seek his face. So, Father, I pray that you would quiet our hearts, quiet our minds so that we can hear from you tonight. As we seek your face, would you meet us here, Lord? Would you help us to go deeper and just to be able to rely on you and to be a real friend of yours, Lord? And Holy Spirit, would you move through our hearts as this message just comes out? Would you speak through me? Would you speak to us and through us tonight, God? In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. What does the word salvation mean? Think about it. Can you explain it to a five-year-old that barely knows English? I, I don't think I could. Maybe I could a little bit, not in a sentence. But I think there are two concepts. There's a modern concept. I thought I thought this was what it was, but it's not. So first of all, you have you know that you're not enough and you need more. You can go to the altar. You decide, okay, this is not what I want. I want to serve a church now. I want to help and put my hands to the plow. And then you try your hardest not to live as you've lived. That sounds reasonable, right? Sort of. But where's God in all that? I, he's not there. So basically, we're doing everything in our own hand in our modern concept of salvation. We put salvation in our own hands, which it's like, that's not salvation. Um, but I can tell you what the Bible says so, and what Jesus says about it. Uh, the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? 
And Paul answered, believe, commit and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And this old dead guy, who's awesome, he says, education, philosophy, social service, and even religion have been tried and have failed to atone for man's sin. Church membership, baptism, and confirmation are helpless unless preceded by something more vital. Do you guys know what that something is? It's Jesus, right? Um, Salvation is something that we can't obtain through our own merit, but it's a free gift and an invitation to be children and heirs with Jesus. It's free. Like, you don't have to do anything for it. But if you want to go deeper with the Lord, you will be changed. Like, you will not live your own life. So let's go back to our theme. Salvation is a restored and redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God. I hope you guys memorize that by the end of it because it's, it's going to be a lot. So let's break down the restoration. Wake up from slumber and return to your first love. Doesn't that sound so poetic? I think it does. But the Lord is really saying, wake up, be responsible, live a life of purpose for the kingdom of God. Do you love me? Would you do anything for me? Do it. Get up. So he's like wooing us in, but then slapping us in the face. I I mean, it's every day. So there should be evidence of healing, not only physical healing, but your attitude should change when you meet him. Your character should change. Your motives, your vision of who God actually is, it should change when you meet him. I mean, change me. I have some moments where I'm like, well, let me put myself first, but then I quickly... Remember when the Lord slaps me in the face, like, come back to me. So I want to use the Bible tonight. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and open to Hosea, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And while you're opening it and finding it, it's around the 1100s if you have a winky Bible. If not, I don't know where it is. So I'm going to explain the story a little bit in detail. The story of Hosea is about a prophet whom God called to marry a fallen woman, a.k.a. a prostitute, which I cannot imagine that. Um, And he said that she was going to be unfaithful and untrue, yet he still did it. So despite what he did for her, despite the love and the care that he showered on her, she still turned away. She, I don't know, he gave her a life that was worth living. He gave her everything she wanted. And she still went back to her shelter of shame back again, back again. And not only does God call Hosea to marry her, but he also called him to have children with her. Children of whoredom, he says. Um, And he says to him, name your children like this fickle nation. And through this sad story, I will how deeply it hurt me. Do you, I mean, what if he asked you that, (laughs) to do that? Would you be able to do it? I don't think I could. Honestly speaking, yeah, no. But, I mean, that's the life of a prophet. You're called to walk it out, and we're all called to be prophets, so let's go. Um, but can you imagine naming your children after the generation? Okay, if are, are there any education majors in here? Yes. All right, so when you're done with school, can you imagine saying, hello, quarantine, hello, isolation, <laughs> like, Welcome to the first grade. <laughs> I don't know. Hello, depression. Hello, loneliness. Like, I don't know. Like, that's crazy. And he definitely named his children those things. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, okay, so let's look at his children. I'm probably going to butch their names, and that's okay. 
Um, but we're going to look at the difference between the reality of the nation and then God's vision for the nation. So let's keep that in mind. Um, and then before I start, uh, Chris talked about a few weeks ago that sometimes when destruction and calamity happens, it's not, it's the Lord quietly removing his hand from our lives. And so that's why the destruction happens is because we're not actually in his will anymore and under his umbrella. And so just keep that in mind when I'm describing Hosea, you know, don't be like, oh God, I hate you. You're so mean. Like you're so cruel. It's like, no, he gave them what they wanted. They wanted their gods and he gave it to them. So just remember that as we were talking through this. So Jezreel, don't know, but his name meant judgment is coming. Okay. And then Lo Rahamah, that one is uh, no mercy. So Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 10.13, you have trusted in your own ways. So knowledge, because we don't actually know and believe who God is, who he says he is, destruction comes. So without knowledge of him, like not of him, but of like who he is, like actually knowing him, we don't have a clear vision of his character, so we don't believe the best in him. And then if we don't believe the best in him, we will eventually perish because we will not think his ways are the ways that we should go. We would go the other way. And I don't know, if we, we put his trust in his creation and not him, where I don't, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of silly and foolish, to be honest. And we think, I mean, I know I do it when I do that. It's because you think that the thing that you have in your control, you can control it better. So why not make that your God? So instead of trusting God for a healing, why not go to the doctor? Or why not take a Tylenol? Because it's in your control. You can control when you have pain and when you don't. The list goes on. But lo-ami, that means not my people. He says, I gave you everything, and yet you go back to the horror from which you came. Ugh. I don't know. It's just like wrecking my heart even now. But we read the word. We get filled. We go to church. The Lord moves. But why do we still spend more time on social media and watching Netflix and TikTok than we do reading the word? I do that. Like, why? Why do we do that? God's saying you go back to the whore from which you came. But all that, all that sadness, don't worry. There's still hope. So that is the reality of the nation. That's the reality that we're in. We're in a fallen world. We give ourselves to our desires a lot more than we give ourselves to the Lord sometimes, speaking for myself. But God's saying, I have a vision for you. I have a, a better plan for you. Would you give me a chance? So he's speaking through his prophet, and he's saying, grace and restoration. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. And he would respond to us surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. I look forward to the rain here because we do not get it ever. <laughs> so when spring comes and you go to the Arroyo Trails, everything's green and beautiful. And like the Lord will respond like that, that feeling that you get of new life and new hope. He will give you that when you seek his face. When you press in, when you feel nothing, you keep pressing in to know him more. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you shall find me if you seek me with your whole heart. And not part of your heart, but your whole heart. 
So every aspect of your life, every dark corner of your closet, like giving that to him and being completely vulnerable with him, he will show up. I guarantee you. Mercy. Hosea 2.14, it says, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. And I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. And I will have mercy on her who had not attained mercy. It's kind of funny that he says he will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly. The desert's not a fun place to be. And it's just like dry, desolation, thirst, like hunger. There's not really any life. But he said, I can be your life there. Like you don't need anything, but you just need me. So sometimes it's harder to hear God when everything's okay. That's why he says, when my people are afflicted, they come to me. And I don't like that, but it's so true. I don't want to believe that, but it is actually true. We seek the Lord harder and faster when something's wrong versus him blessing you with $10,000 or a free ride to school or something. It's like, how quickly do we go say thank you versus if someone gets in a car accident or you're late for your class, you're like, Lord, please help me right now. I need help right now. Like, is that even a prayer or is that just you stressing out? Like, we're not actually going to him. So let's go fast forward a thousand years and see that the Lord is still pursuing us, even though we've continued to turn our faces from him. So in Second Peter, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, proclaiming the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now a people. Remember that child's name? Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we're his people. He is blessing us, and we have obtained mercy. But God is still saying that you hurt me. The hurt is still real. The disappointment is still real, but it has not changed my heart towards you. And he says, even though you have left me, I have not left you. Hosea 10, 12, sow yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And again, it's like there's a lot of rain here because we want the Lord to rain on us. But he says, do not give up until it rains. Like if there's a cloud and there's no rain yet, you keep praying until there's actually rain. If you haven't seen the Lord move in your life. Keep praying because he will show up. I guarantee you. It may not be like what you want to be, but he still will do it. Okay, so this is a side note. Um, I want you to write down 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8, and I'll just read it later. But this is what happens when we don't align ourselves with God, with his vision for our lives and the plans he has for us. And I, I read the scripture, but I never really paid attention to the end of it. But, I mean, there's worship songs and everything about this, but I never actually, like, opened my eyes until the Lord's like, hey, look, look at this. But um, you guys know that Jesus is the cornerstone, right? But later on in that verse, that scripture, he says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. 
We stumble because we try to run our lives when there's only one fit to do so. You see? I don't know. Isn't that crazy? Like, he is our cornerstone, but we can also stumble in him if we're trying to do the opposite of what he's asking us to do. So, moving right along, salvation is a restored and a redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God. So let's talk about redemption. That one is, I'm just going to keep it simple because we don't want that to be all over the place. It's just one thing. We're separated from God because of our sin. God sent his only son, Jesus, as a pure and blameless sacrifice so that we can be connected with him again. So we can actually know the Father personally and so that we can actually live out his vision of hope and restoration in our lives and have a future with him and not of damnation. In Ephesians, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So I like to think of that one as Gabriel, if you've ever held him and he's thrown up on you, you don't hate him. You're not mad at him. You're not saying, like, you need to repent for throwing up on my shirt, even though you might want to think that. But you can't, you can't say that to a baby. You can't say that to someone you love so dearly. You better all love him. But I'm saying the Lord is saying that to us. Like, no matter what we do, he's still saying, like, dude, I still love you. It's okay. Just invite me in when you mess up. I will help you. Like, I will come to you. You've been redeemed. In Hebrews, he says, with his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. That's something I don't know very many people would want to do is die on a cross like that. I don't know very many people, in America at least, who would want to do that. But just like Hosea paid the price for Gomer, Jesus paid the price for us, not with money or possessions, but with his own blood. And he built a bridge that we can always be connected to the Father, not because of what we've done or who we are or because we're kids or babies. It's because of who he is and because he's actually worth us. Like, he deserves us. Back to our theme. I love it so much. Salvation is a restored and redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God. Now let's talk about friendship. I think I'm a good friend, but I wasn't always a good friend. Why are you laughing, Maui? Stop. (laughs) Stop. What does it mean to be a genuine friend? To be authentic and sincere? Yes. But it's not only that. It just, it means that you're really upfront with somebody. You're living in reality. You're honest with them. You're not hiding behind a bush. There's no shame. There's no fronts. There's no masks. You can't, like, you see what you see. You know, you ever have that friend that cannot hide their emotions on their face? Yes, like that, but with your whole life. (laughs) That means that's a genuine friend. There's no cancel culture. There's no, oh, dude, you didn't answer my text within an hour. Okay, we're over. Oh, you didn't show up to small group. Okay, never text me ever again. I won't text you. It's not, none of that, no, it's called pursuit, like a genuine pursuit. So when I was in small group, I was blessed enough to have my small group leader in the same vicinity with her small group leader, my GMA, and then her small group leader, so my GG. So whenever something went down, it wasn't just one person on you. It was like all three of them. And they were all Latinas, not saying anything bad about them. I love them. They were so great. 
but it just, it was a lot. <laughs> so I don't know about y'all, but if you're in small group, you don't have to make any faces. And if you're a small group leader and you're thinking about your resource leader like this, it's okay. But when I was in small group, I didn't understand the concept of a genuine friend, but they did. So they would text me, like, let's go to dinner, and I would turn my phone over. I do not do this anymore. I would turn my phone over because if it's over, I can miss a call because I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. Or if I was at the student center, I see them at the door. I turn the other way before they saw me, so I didn't have to talk about what I thought small group was about or what I thought Kyle was about or the thing I went to the altar for and confessed. I didn't want to, like, pull on that string, so... I would just run, you know, in the library. I would stay at the fourth floor because nobody went to the fourth floor. So basically avoiding them at all costs. And there's this one time, Michelle, she's like, come to our dorm. And she saw me in person. She was like, come with me. So I, I went with her. And she showed me this album. We listened to the whole thing. And it literally scared me to death. I don't know if you guys know Misty Edwards. Wait, is that her name? From IHOP? Yeah. Okay, yeah. See, it's, it's still blocked in my memory. Anyways, it, it was the most interesting thing, but it just talked about the end times, like the whole album, and it literally scared me to where I couldn't sleep with my lights off for a while. But she, she gave me the CD, and so I put it in a very safe place. And I never, I didn't even listen to it for like Maybe three years later, I listened to it, and I was like, oh, this is so good. But I actually knew the Lord then. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, they kept pursuing. They had that pursuit even though I rejected them, even though, I mean, I would say things to them to their faces that weren't the nicest things, you know, not out of love, um, just being super particular. But the Lord is saying, like, even though he's pursuing us, he's still working through us, even though we don't know it or realize it. He's constantly pursuing us. Your small group leader is constantly pursuing you. Your resource leader is doing the same, you know? So, I don't know. I think friendship, this cancel culture is so weird to me because if you do something that the other person doesn't agree with, you're done with them for the rest of your life. That's such a new concept to me because I've never seen that. But, I mean, I can understand it, but I just, personally, I don't agree with it. And I do, but I don't. I don't know. Anyways, it's not good. But if, what if the Lord did that to us? What if the second we didn't invite someone somewhere, he's like, okay, that's it. Like, you can forget me in your life forever. Like, that's terrible. I don't know. So, like, why do we do that? I don't know why we do that. So, all that being said, the Lord taught me what it was like to be pursued, even though, even through those around me, even if I wasn't even paying attention to his pursuit of me, he used people like he used Hosea. So, I want to keep going because I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm not close to being done. So Psalms 27.4, it says, One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek after, and I may dwell in his house all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to choir, inquire in his temple. If salvation is a restored and redeemed ongoing friendship with God, how can anyone claim this gift without a true, growing, loving relationship with the one who actually is the gift? So, I don't know. I would hope by this point I've inspired you to consider ideas that may have been your norm or may not have been your norm. But 
I want us all to have a fresh revelation of who God is and a fresh revelation of his vision of hope and restoration and redemption in our lives. Okay, before we, even, before we get to the close, I need to add one word that I have not added to the theme the whole time. So I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. Repetition is the price of knowledge. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, salvation is a restored and redeemed ongoing, genuine friendship with God, repent. Because we can't have salvation without repentance, you know? The greatest enemy of the church is not atheism, but is false religion. So we have to actually change our minds about how we think about all these things. Everything that we've known, our modern culture is very humanistic. It's very self-centered, man-centered, like James was talking earlier, we go to church. If you don't like the church, if you don't like the music, we'll go to somewhere else. If we don't like the preacher, we'll go somewhere else. But what if God called you to marry this church that's broken and help her get into her right standing? That's a lot harder than just feeling good. Um, repent is also a word that often echoes through the Gospels and the foundation of revival. Like you're not restored and you're not refreshed or redeemed without having this thing first. Frank Bartleman, he was an Azusa Street journalist. If you don't know what that is, look it up, the Azusa Street, like that whole thing, 100 years of prayer, almost, but almost there. He says, the depth of any revival will be determined exactly by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. I'm going to say that again because it's so good. The depth of any revival will be determined exactly by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. Repentance prepares the way for the Lord's coming. It helps our heart. It prepares our heart for the Lord's encounter. It washes away all of those obstacles, all the sin, all the uncleanliness, the pride, religion, the self-worth that comes between us and the Lord. All those things are removed when we repent. And it makes way for the Spirit's refreshing and undoing and outpouring. So I know what you're thinking, because if I were sitting in the chair, I would be like, I'm how old and I have to repent again? Like, I've done that like 50 times in my life. Is that, isn't that enough? No, repentance is for everybody. It's for every single person. So for those who have known the Lord, he says, wake up from slumber and return to your first love. So I went to this amazing conference this weekend. It's called Even If. It was so great. And there are a couple of things I remember, but this one thing I remember the most, I'm not going to say the whole story because it's so long. But if you want to know the whole story, just ask me. Anyways, so this lady, she was Muslim. She wanted to kill herself. Her mom wanted to kill herself too. So they were um, going to do a suicide pack. They wanted to watch TV and fall asleep together in their death. So they turned on the TV, and this preacher said, hey, I know you and your family want to kill yourself, but don't. Like, the Lord loves you. And so the mom calls. She calls, and she gets saved within half an hour. And so the daughter was furious because she's like, man, my plans are ruined. Me, me, me. Again, you know. And so then she was going to kill herself still, but the mom was like, just give him a chance. And so she called the preacher, and two hours later, she's still not saved. And she says, you know, I don't believe in your God. And the, the pastor was like, 
okay, you've given your whole life to this thing. Well, give my, give my Jesus a week and see what happens. If not, you can kill yourself. That's really bold, by the way. And so she doesn't end up killing herself. She ends up leading five people to Jesus through her mom's healing, which was amazing. And then she met a guy. They moved to America. Long story short, they had want for nothing. They were on top of the world, had money, had a church. It was great. A couple months in, she goes to her husband and says, Honey, I think there's a demonic attack on the church. There's a lullaby, and he's making us all go to sleep. We're slowly sleeping away. I want to go back home where people actually care. And isn't that crazy? That, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, am I asleep? Are we asleep? Like, what does it mean to be asleep? Just going to Sunday service, going to Wednesday night, going to Catholic, going to small group. Is that it? Are we doing anything else? Are we furthering the kingdom outside of these walls? Are we talking to people who don't actually know Jesus? Or are we only mentioning his name to those who are like us? So it's for those who know the Lord. It's for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. It's for those who know of him but don't know him personally. Again, in Hosea, he says, Oh, that we may know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. And he will respond to us surely as the arrival of dawn and as the coming rains of spring. So he wants to know you, actually really know you deeply, like all the little parts of you, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry. And he wants you to know the same about him. And if you don't know him, he says, just turn from the ways that you thought were best. Lay down your idols and your God and follow the one true God. He will make it worth your while, I promise you. Um, So repentance just means just to have to go above and beyond your mind and change, have a change of thought. So maybe you didn't assume God's innocence during that one point in your life when everything was going down and stuff hit the fan and your family member died or you got sick. You blamed, maybe you blamed God. I don't know. Maybe you didn't have a picture, a, a good picture of him. Maybe it was too small or too vanilla or too plain or just wrong. Maybe you didn't think he was who he said he was and you doubted him. We've all lived a selfish life at some point in our lives where reality, our reality wasn't God's reality. But under his truth, his, the Holy Spirit can help us little by little understand him more. I mean, it can happen overnight, but I, I just feel like I will have an overload mentally. But He's, he will walk with me step by step in revealing all the little things to me. This story, um, we are from Huntsville, obviously, but there's this church that I uh, would teach music students at, and the pastor just came in one day and just started talking to me, and she was saying that there was this guy who came to their church, and he was a drug addict on the streets, like like a big deal. And so he gave his life to the Lord that Sunday, and he came to their prayer meeting, which was predominantly women. (laughs) So you have this middle-aged guy, tatted up, just a rough guy with all these sweet old ladies praying for their church and praying for the members of the church. And so she was telling me that he just started cussing. He didn't know, like, he was just praying, like, God, would you F this and da-da-da and da-da-da-da-da and just all over the place. And nobody said anything. And I was like, what? Nobody told him to not do that? And she goes, no. Like, where's the grace in that? Like, 
He just gave his life to the Lord. He's not going to say, like, everything you're doing is bad. He's going to walk with you and give you the next step, not just, like, you know, he's not going to tell you, like, jump off this cliff. He's going to help you get down. And I don't know. I thought that was so funny because if that was me, I think I would have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not the place or the time. But, no, like, you know, there's wisdom in older people, so listen to that. Um, so what does godly repentance actually look like? I want to talk about some elements of true repentance um, you should write them down when they, we get to them because it's not something that I want you to do just tonight, but, like, I have to do it all the time, actually. So it's something your journal or in, you know, if you have a wall of things that are important to you, put it on the wall or something. But Second Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you may suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Let me read the last verse again. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation that's not to be regretted. So you won't regret that. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So that means when you... I don't know, when you're distressed and you're crying out to the Lord, but he's not actually the center of it, it's just you wanting something that you want, that's going to lead to death. But if you have godly repentance, it's like you have agape love for the Father, the, like a love that knows nothing, self, unselfishly choosing for the highest good of his kingdom. That's going to be something that you will never regret. Wasting your, you won't waste your time doing that ever so the elements of repentance, the first one, carefulness. This is where, like the guy at the church where he was cussing during prayer, you take up your sins one by one, asking the Holy Spirit to show you what you have done to hurt your life, the lives around you, and most importantly, the life of the Father. If you have to make a list, make a list. If you don't have to make a list, don't make a list. I'm a list person, so if I don't write it down, I'm like, did that even happen? You know what I'm saying? But... It's important, so however you have to do it, just do it. The second thing, clearing yourselves. Ask, asking God to help you be honest and real, like letting nothing remain hidden in your heart. Again, back to that closet, letting him in every corner of your closet. Even if it's something that you don't even think is wrong, but you're like, it is like questionable, still give it to the Lord. I don't know, sometimes when I'm confessing my sins, I don't want to say certain things, but it's like the Lord wants all of it. Why not? He already knows. Why not just let it come from your mouth? Indignation. Catherine Booth said, it is the task of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, that he would help us first of all to see, then to hate, and finally to forsake our sin. Those who hate sin will not easily embrace it again. So if you hate something, actually hate it. I hate mustard. It's really hard for me to eat mustard, and nobody can make me eat mustard. So, like, if you really hate something, it's not going to be easy for you to jump back on and say, like, all right, let me try this thing again. Like, if you hate drinking, like, it's going to be hard for you if anybody even offers you a drink to be like, okay, I'll do it for you, or I'll try it here. Like, if you ha actually hate it, it should make you sick to your stomach. 
when you're doing something that the Lord doesn't want you to do. Fear. What if the list that I was talking about first, what if that was used on judgment day and God's like, all right, so you did all these things. What then? What if it was read out loud right now? What then? So if you didn't confess that and he's like, okay, you didn't confess this, so here you go. Like, you're responsible for all this stuff. Keep that in the back of your mind. Um, Zeal. Being angry if something has come between you. Um, I know what it's like to have zeal for board games because I don't like losing. (laughs) But do you know, like, you take that copy-paste, having zeal for the Lord, having zeal for that lost student that's walking past you or the one that's sitting alone in the UC or that person who walks into Kaffa and sits by themselves and you're not knowing that you need to go say hi and you don't do it. Like, do you have zeal? Do you have anger when something comes between you and the Father? Anything. Passion. An intensely strong passion to make things right helps set in motion our deep hunger for God. So you can't really move a parked car. You, you have to keep it, you have to get it rolling, or at least let it be in neutral. So if you don't have any kind of desire to seek the Lord, it is not going to happen. I, it, it won't happen. The last one, revenge. Revenge. Taking some kind of destruction, destructive action towards a representation of your, of your wrong. Break it, burn it. I mean, I love burn parties so much. There was one time we were burning something. We had, like, bins burning for Chi Alpha, and this guy, he burned a MacBook. And I'm just like, clean it off and sell it. You could get $1,000 easily. But, like, he was saying, no, this thing kept was in the way of me and the Father, so I'm going to get rid of it. So, I mean, I burned a lot of stuff, too, and... One thing I burned that I really, I just, I actually really like the show, but it's okay. But it was the family guy. It sounds so stupid now, but they always talked about Jesus so terribly. Like, they just, it was so bad. And I always reasoned away, like, okay, it was only 10 seconds. I literally would count the seconds. It's like, it's not that bad. I could just fast forward it, you know, like, whatever. But I actually, I had every single episode, and I burned everything. It was so sad, but it was so good at the same time. It was a godly sorrow. So the Holy Spirit is like a trial lawyer. He first assembles together all of the evidence and then one by one lays all the facts out before both the plaintiff and the jury. This is the process of true conviction. The the way to develop this conviction is not just to kneel and strain and try to feel guilty or sad for something that's in your control. No, is just you asking the Holy Spirit to go over with you in your mind one grim fact after the other. And I'll say that again because I want you to get this. That repentance is just asking the Holy Spirit to go over with you in your mind one grim fact after the other. So what today is your struggle may not be tomorrow's struggle, but you have to be okay with that. If God's saying, lay it down tonight, like you have to be okay with that. If you let him lay out the truth of your inner life line by line until the evidence becomes overwhelming, you won't be able to help but build to be a changed person because he will convince you. He will give you that changed mind because what he has is so much greater than we can create. Like, why not have the creator in your life? Like, infinite possibilities of a future with him. 
So I, I believe this message is for everybody and even for myself and even the staff, like, is for all of us. The Lord is constantly pursuing us and asking us to consider his way little by little. Even I repent daily of things like my attitude or the need to always be right, which, I mean, I am right about always being right, but that doesn't mean I'm right. So I'm wrong in some points. <laughs> so the idea of I like to have my life how I want it to be and the Lord says otherwise, like, I have to lay that down daily, you know? So I think having a misconception of the Father also is something that, like, you think, Lord, why aren't you on my side? Why is this happening to me? Is that, did you do this? No, he didn't. We just stepped out of his cloud. We stepped out of his hand, and we're doing things in our own way. And he's saying, okay, you want this? Have it your way. Just like Burger King, but a little bit sadder. So if you want to take a step for the Lord, if you want to actually encounter him, I'm really excited about this part. I want us to actually dig deep with the Lord. He wants us, and he says, if you seek me earnestly, you'll find me. So I just want to have time where we, Jonathan, you can come back. I just want to have time where we actually can seek the Lord and actually use this time to ask him to show us where we need a change of mind, where we need to repent. And I believe that you actually have to take a step when the Lord asks us to do something. And whether that means coming to the front or whether that means sitting alone or reaching over to your small group leader and being like, uh, I need to tell you something. Or reaching over to your small group member and being like, I have not been honest. Like, if God's saying do something, this is the night to do it. And there's no shame. Like, this is a safe place. There's, there's, this is a very small moment in time that we won't get back. So if the Lord's speaking to you in this moment, it may not be in the next moment that he says the same thing. So why not make it count? Really, Like, why not actually make it, like, count for real and count for eternity? So will you guys take a step for the Lord because he's worth it, right? So I want us just to close our eyes and just think about it. Ask the Lord what he wants us to do. And I'm going to pray after a little bit. Father, I thank you for your infinite pursuit of us and our souls and our hearts and our characters. Thank you, God, that no matter what we do, you're always chasing after us, Lord. That there is no shame when we're coming to you, God. That you have restored us and that you've redeemed us, Lord. And you want to have a just God. And Holy Spirit, I just, I ask that you would open our minds to hear what you have to say. Help us to change our minds about the life that we've lived or even the little actions that we've done that are not necessarily bad, but they don't bring us closer to you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us all, Lord, as we take a step and listen to your callings. Would you help us to, would you give us the courage to do what you've asked us to do? Would you meet us here? You're not a God that breaks promises, Lord. Would you meet us here in this moment? May this moment in time count for eternity, God. As we seek your presence, would you fall upon us, Lord? In Jesus' name, 
the altars are open so if you want to pray and I believe in prayer so I'll be praying for you if you're up here but if you want to just come seek the Lord like now is the time to do it this is the best time to do it so